This is a sermon from the Highlands Congregation of Park Church. We hope it helps you walk with the Lord and lead others to Christ. Learn more and find more resources at parkchurch.org. I'm going to take a minute and we'll pray about, uh, just pray for the world. Uh, What we're going to be doing today uh, is looking at, in God's word, how the joy of Christ meets us in a world full of pain, uh, a world full of pain. Uh, Life is hard. People are hurting, and uh, this is a part of the Christmas message. It doesn't sound like the joyful part of the Christmas message, but it's a real part of the Christmas message. Life is hard, and people are hurting, and God wants to meet us in the midst of that space to bring joy. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Um, If you have a Bible, I want you to open up to Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to read uh, for us, uh, and then we'll pray, and uh, we'll dive in together. We're in Isaiah chapter 9. This is a prophecy uh, from Isaiah. Uh, from the Lord himself through Isaiah to a people who are experiencing a lot of pain. We'll talk about why they're experiencing that pain, what it looked like, but they were a people experiencing anguish, gloom, distress, oppression, brokenness within their community. And into that space, the Lord gives them an incredible prophetic hope. And so here it is. This is Isaiah chapter 9. I'm just going to read verses 2 and 3. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They, re- they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. This is the word of the Lord. All right, we're going to take a minute and talk about how God meets us in the anguish to bring joy into the hurting world. And so would you join me as we pray? Um, Holy Spirit, you are with us, you are among us, and right now we confess how much we need you. All around this room, there are different experiences of pain, and all around this world, uh, there is so much pain, there is so much hurt, there is anguish and gloom, there is darkness, there is suffering. It's coming in various ways, to various degrees, in various forms, and you're attentive to all of it. So I pray right now for each of the men and women and children in this room, that you would draw near to them, to those joining us online, that you would draw near to them, that you see them, you know them, that you love them. And would you meet us in the joy? Uh, Would you meet us in the pain? Would you meet us in the the challenges? Would you meet us in the difficulty to bring a kind of joy that uh, meets us right there and transcends those moments, God? And so we pray that you would help us to become, even in the midst of the suffering of this world, even in the midst of the pain of our own life, of people who experience the joy of your presence, and that that would shine as light to the world, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I want to ask you a really important question about your Christmas spirit. And here it is from kind of on a spectrum from the Grinch to Buddy the Elf. Uh, where do you fall in terms of Christmas spirit? I want you to think about it. On a spectrum from the Grinch, we're talking early Grinch, not like kind of post-Lucy, end-of-the-story Grinch. Early Grinch, you know, hates the whole Christmas season. Uh, all the way to Buddy the Elf, right? Not many of us are on the poles, but uh, on the spectrum, where do you tend to fall? I want you to think about it in your head, uh, and I'm going to ask you a question. So first, uh, for those that would say, I fall on the Buddy the Elf end of the spectrum, I want you to raise your hand. Buddy the Elf. Who's Buddy the Elf? All right. All right, there we go. All right, smiling's your favorite. You love it. Um, it's like your, your thing. Uh, how about on the Grinch side of the spectrum? Raise your hand. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. Just a few of us. And I say of us. Historically, I've, I kind of like tilt. It's a spectrum. I'm not saying all the way there. But uh, something, something about the, the noise, 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 you know, um, for me is a lot. Um, I, I think often uh, one of the things that's hard for a lot of people about the Christmas season, the reality is we're all sort of a mixed bag. Uh, There are things about Christmas that I'm sure for most of us are exciting. There are things about the season that are hard. And part of the the reason why Christmas can be hard for so many people and the parts of it that are hard is there's something about the phoniness of like the kind of tis the season to be jolly thing um, that's hard for for many people, including me, right? The thing about that line, tis the season to be jolly, fa la 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 la. Like the the song itself is like sarcastic. I mean, it's like, it's like, It's kind of acknowledging, like, not really. You know, like, even the fa-la-la thing is like, all right, um, is it really? And something about that sense of, like, hey, we magically enter into this season where we just, like, paste on smiles and be happy because it's the season to be. Uh, It's hard for people who don't feel that. 
Maybe it feels good uh, in some ways to kind of like get out of the kind of like the pain of life and the sorrows of life, but it doesn't feel as like uh, anchored. It doesn't feel as real. And so there are things about the Advent season that meet you in the space to give real sense of joy and meaning in life. And it's not kind of a path of suppressing the pain of this life and pretending like all of life is happy and joyful and kind of singing all your favorite Christmas tunes. Uh, But there are, for example, in some of the songs we sang today, like incredible hymns about how God has met us in this season to bring joy into the pain. We just sang, oh, come thou dayspring, come and cheer our spirits. That means like to give a sense of happiness and joy and exhilaration to our spirits by thine advent here. By your coming, bring cheer to us. And then it says, drive away the shades of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Right, the chorus of that song is rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Like God with us shall come and meet you in the darkness, meet you in the shades of night, in the gloomy anguish that we all experience as human beings. Uh, We sit in these spaces in the midst of a season like this, not like we've said, trying to kind of celebrate Christmas in a way that says, let's pretend to be happy. Advent season is about being honest with the dissonance, about being honest about the pain, about being honest about the unresolved tensions, about being honest about the kind of anguish that we feel and finding in that reality a God who's come to meet us in that space to lead us to the things we long for. In this case, a God who's come to bring joy to a suffering world. That he's come to bring joy to a suffering world. The world is hurting. It's hurting in different ways and around this room people are hurting. It's often we we find ourselves uh, trying to maybe compare ourselves or our pain to others and in some places feel hard to even talk about some of the pain we experience because it doesn't feel like the global water crisis, which is a real suffering in the world that's being experienced by millions. It's a real suffering in the world. It's hard to think about right now, today, this week, tornadoes ripping through the Midwest and killing dozens at least damaging homes. You think about people that are getting ready for Christmas just like you and their home is gone and their company has been pummeled and they've lost a loved one or suffering that's happening. Think about the pandemic alone and some of the pain that's experienced. Everything from loss of loved ones throughout the past couple years, the amount of people in our own community, including me, that have lost loved ones, people that have lost siblings, people that have suffered intensely in the hospital in our own community. thought about even last service talking to people that had walked through over the past few months incredible, incredible pain. And many of you are the same. You've felt incredible pain. And then there's the the normal stuff of life, the the normal challenges, divided relationships. You have uh, a brokenness as you think about the holiday season and going to see family. At some point that was fun, but this year you're kind of walking into a family situation where you and your parents or your in-laws or whatever have a different opinion about vaccines and it's been complicated and overwhelming. Or you have this tension that happened over the past couple years about how you approach the different social issues in this world. Or there's estrangements between parents and children, children and parents. These are the real things of life. And Christmas is about how God has come to meet us in that space. It's not a very encouraging start to the sermon, right? Uh, welcome to Park Church. Glad you're here. You know, it's like, life is hard. Glad you're here. Um, it is. It's really hard. And God has come to, to meet us in the reality of those spaces. There are global trials. There are day-to-day trials. There are relational things. There are emotional things. There are addictions. There's just the sort of difficulty of life, the sort of Murphy's Law of life that just challenges us all. Are you guys familiar with Murphy's Law? Murphy's Law is like if things can go wrong, they do, right? Like I always think about it with home construction projects. This Friday, I was gonna just replace just a basic old light fixture. You know, when you move into a house, you've got the old light fixtures that are nasty and weird. And, uh, and you're like, you need to get finally seven years later, I'm like finally replacing the one in our kitchen. Should be pretty quick. Remove an old light fixture, put a new one up in there. No biggie. Right? And then the whole, like, uh, the wires are, like, brittle and breaking. I'm like, that's not good. You climb up in the attic, and you're like, oh, there's a lot of 
not good wiring here. And so, the, you know, hours later of like replacing all this wiring, that's Murphy's Law. This should have been easy and it didn't end up being easy, right? You're like crawling around in the attic. I've got like insulation, old, old school insulation, like fiberglass that gets in your skin all over me. And I'm like taking longer than I'm running to meet with a friend. I don't have time to shower, you know? So I'm just like, yeah, uh-huh. You know, just like the whole time. It's like, uh, that's life. It's like, this should have been easy. And now I'm like itching all the time, you know? Um, that's not life, but you get it, metaphorically, right? There's like, it's hard. Something that feels like I, I have a longing for a family and my family and for my job and for my relationships. And if I just do it this way, it should get better. And right, a couple years ago for the first time, I got into the Michael Hyatt Full Focus Planner. And you like sit down and you plan out your year and you make your goals and how's it gonna look. And the first time I did that was like January 1st, 2020. So just like imagine how my goals ended up. Uh, like, uh, wasn't good. I'm not doing that anymore. That was a waste of a full day. Uh, like, I was like, I was like, I'm going to plan. I'm going to be intentional and order my life around all my goals this year. And when I finish this year, I will have accomplished all of these things. I'm just going to organize my goals around my days and all these priorities. And then like life happens, right? 2020 happened in that case. But that's just like, this is what it is. It's challenging. And there are light things that we can like laugh about. There are kind of ordinary challenges and there are deeply painful things. And the question we have to ask is how do we deal with that? How do we deal with that? So the first thing I wanna like pay attention to, which is gonna be a little bit depressing, uh, is just this fundamental truth about reality. Life is hard and the world is hurting. Life is hard and the world is hurting and your own experience shows it and paying attention to the world shows it. The question is what do we do with it? What do we do with it? Um, Tim Keller in his book, Walking with God through pain and suffering says this. He says, no matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have put together a good life, no matter how hard we have worked to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable with friends and family and successful with our career, something will inevitably ruin it. No amount of money, power, and planning can prevent bereavement, dire illness, relationship betrayal, financial disaster, or a host of other troubles from entering your life. Human life is fatally fragile and subject to forces beyond our power to manage. Life is tragic. Merry Christmas. Life is tragic. You can't escape it. So what do we do with it? In that same book, he talks through the the major worldviews in the world, kind of represented by different religions and how they tend to address suffering. One of the main things you kind of can look at when you're looking at a study of religions and a history of religion is how are these religions making sense of suffering? In one sense, it's a fundamental task of religion, just generally speaking, in human psychology and experience to understand how are people making sense of the pain in this world? Where did it come from? What caused it? What do we do in it? Where's it headed? And so here are the four things that Keller talks about. One, he talks about the moralistic approach. And in this moralistic approach, this is kind of represented by the experience of, in Hinduism, you think about karma. It's kind of like what goes around comes around. You get what's coming to you. Like um, this experience of if hard things happen, it's because you kind of did something to deserve it and it's going to catch up with you, right? Karma. Or if you're doing well, it's going to catch up with you and things are going to turn out all right. Either in this life or in the next, or maybe even the pain in this life is because of something that you did wrong in the last life. This sense of whatever we get is what we deserve. And so sometimes in that approach, maybe at a more kind of street level experience, it's a sense of like, when you experience pain, it's like, what did I do to deserve this? As if, if I'm experiencing pain, I did something to warrant this. Or how is it that they get to kind of experience all this and I get all this when I have X, Y, Z, right? It's like, we think that You know, good things should happen to good people and bad things should happen to bad people. It's the moralistic approach. And so the path forward is to do your best to become the good kind of person that doesn't deserve bad things. The problem is that doesn't hold up in reality. Suffering often just feels deeply unfair. Feels in some ways unjust. It feels distorted. Second way Keller talks about, he talks about the self-transcendent approach. This is represented uh, through something like Buddhism. So if you're familiar with the Four Noble Truths in Buddhism, here's essentially the sort of framework of Buddhism is communicating these four truths. Number one is the truth of suffering. And that's just what we're talking about. The world is full of suffering. Suffering is an experience in the human life. Number two, the truth of the cause of suffering, which in Buddhism is desire. 
When you want something deeply or you want things deeply, it now kind of makes you susceptible to suffering because of the reality that we don't always get the things we desire. So the third truth in Buddhism is the truth of the end of suffering, which is essentially learning to let go of desire, learning not to want things anymore. If the main cause of suffering is unmet desires, and if desire is a part of the experience, then what we need to learn is how to let go and remove ourselves, detach ourselves from desire. And so the fourth truth is the truth about the path that frees us from suffering, which is where they go through the eightfold path. And this is the sort of journey of Buddhism. We're going to teach you a way of living that's going to teach you to detach yourself from desire. Once you detach yourself from desire, you won't suffer. You'll be able to transcend suffering. That's how Buddhism deals with it. Another is what Keller calls the fatalistic approach, which is kind of he represents and talks about it in Islam, also some forms of Christianity kind of approach a fatalism, which is just suffering is real, it's hard, but it's a part of your destiny to learn how to endure it. And uh, just more fatalistic, uh, you can't do anything about it, and so you just kind of like learn to endure through it, and you push through it. It can lead to a lot of um, defeatism, it can lead to also a lot of arrogance if you're the kind of person that can push through and power through the difficulty. Fatalism, the last one that he mentions is the dualistic approach. And so this is maybe most represented in something like the Star Wars experience. You think about it like the battle between the light and the dark side of the force. You know, you're talking about like Luke Skywalker versus maybe the Emperor or Rey versus, you know, Kylo Ren. And like the whole battle is to let like light eventually overcome the darkness so that we can all stand together with teddy bears in a treehouse and dance. You know, like that's the end goal of the Star Wars vision is dancing with teddy bears in treehouses around a fire. Uh, they're called Ewoks, if you didn't know. I know. Um, Star Wars fan, may the force be with you. Um, Star Wars approach, but it's essentially this cosmic battle. It's like good and bad happens and they're in this eternal struggle and, and we're just like, there's just a balance in the world. That gets you into like, good things keep happening, I bet something bad's going to come because good's been happening, right? Or if something bad comes, like eventually this will turn around, like this kind of just sense that things should kind of balance out. These are the four kind of worldview approaches. What's fascinating, what Keller talks about when I think is so real is all of those worldviews address the reality of suffering front and center in the way they think about the human experience. The, the kind of predominant worldview in our culture, in our setting, isn't any of the four of those, and it is by far the least equipped to deal with the reality of suffering in the world. And that, that's this sort of like secular materialistic worldview. In a sort of Western secular materialistic worldview, suffering is a major, major problem, and there's no real tools to deal with it. In this worldview, life should be progressing. Life should get better. And life should progress towards some vision of happiness. And the main way we think about this pursuit of happiness is circumstantial, situational advancements. And so that's kind of more positive relationships, more positive personal, positive personal well-being, more positive kind of uh, social experiences, like more positive emotions. It just everything should be getting more positive. It should be, again, continuing to like kind of make progress towards this happy experience. And in that worldview, which dominates Denver culture, and dominates most of the societies where most of us have grown up. It's the sort of air we breathe, it's the water we've drank from a young age, as life should keep getting better. Now, suffering, pain, difficulty is a huge interruption, setback, or obstacle in the main meaning of life. The main goal of life is improvement. Suffering is now an obstacle, it's an interruption, or it's a setback that needs to be avoided at all costs. We, we begin to frame happiness as the absence of pain. Happiness is the absence of difficulty. Happiness is the absence of sadness. And that has never been a major part of kind of worldviews where we think the main path forward is to kind of avoid and dodge and kind of find ways out of suffering. It's just not real in the human experience, and yet we try so hard. We try so hard to do it. And so we find some ways to try to avoid it, right? And so you move to Denver because it feels like Denver is going to be a more exciting experience. And so you kind of construct a life and you have these goals in life. And many people make a lot of progress towards that kind of idealistic vision of life for a while. And so you're kind of pers personal like health and wellness and you want to kind of start running and hiking more and more. And then you twist your knee and it's taken out or you get stuck with some 
illness that makes it hard to do that kind of a thing. You have this vision for what your family should be and there's setbacks and challenges and difficulties. You think about what your career is going to be. We talk about this again and again, but we keep bumping up into the reality that life is harder than we expected it to be. It's challenging. And so once you start feeling that, now you have to think of some way to deal with it. And our society gives almost no tools to help you deal with it. And so if we can't avoid it, now you've got to find some way. And so there are all sorts of ways to do it. You can try to escape those negative emotions through, you know, your social medication of choice or narcotics or whatever it would be, some way to numb or minimize or escape it. You try to drown out the pain that you feel internally with more activity and busyness and positivity, the sort of, you know, the Ted Lasso version of, if you watch that series, like you can tell from the very beginning, this happy guy is hurting. He's hurting. And you can tell at the very beginning, if you're familiar with sort of like an emotional journey at all, uh, you're just like, oh, this person, like his positivity is over the top. And you can just tell something is deeply painful, but he believes and he's happy and he's fun. And, you know, I'm, I'm from the Midwest and I like get that sort of like warmth, right? I always say to people, I appreciate you. And then like Ted Lasso started doing it and it became like really kind of Midwestern cliche. And now every time I'm like, every time I say I appreciate you, I like feel like, uh, that's, I got to think of a new fr- like thing to say. It's like super Midwestern. I'm like, I think I really do appreciate you, John. You know, Kansas, I appreciate you. I think I really do. But apparently it's something that we're known for saying in Kansas. Um, so anyway, but you have this like positivity, right? This sense of positivity and just, hey, keep going and be optimistic. And at some point it just wears down. It wears down. One way that people deal with sadness And pain of life is just through anger. Anger is a more controllable emotion than sadness. And so if we can find some outlet to be angry at somebody, right? So you think about a global pandemic and all the suffering that's in the world. It should not be surprising that the world is so angry right now. Who are we going to blame? The left or the right or this kind of people or those kinds of people? Just like somebody to get angry about. Why? Because I'm hurting. Because life is hard. And if I could blame somebody, it just feels better. Some outlet, even if it's not healthy and super destructive, feels better than just like sitting in sadness. So we find some way to work through it. One of the ways that I work through it for a lot of my life is by using theologies to suppress sadness. As if the fact that God is sovereign should mean that I shouldn't feel things. Right, so I take things like the sovereignty of God or Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's true. And that's supposed to give hope. You know what that's not supposed to do? Suppress emotion. But I use it to suppress emotion. I use it to kind of like think all these truths about God that somehow made me able to not feel real pain. To kind of push that away or feel like I shouldn't feel those things. If God is sovereign and if these things will be redeemed and restored, then... I shouldn't be sad, then that shouldn't be hard, then I should be fine, I should be okay. That's just not real. It's not honest. The Bible never tells us that the realities of God's sovereign care for the world or his love for the world or his plan for the world is supposed to deny the pain of our existence. He's a God who entered into that pain, who wept and weeps with those who weep, who suffered himself with deep, deep pain. So we find some way to deal with it. Sometimes it's just to try to hit an eject button. We, we feel like in the midst of the difficulties of life, um, if there's a hard thing in a relationship, we just find new relationships. If there's a hard thing in the workplace, well, then I need to find another workplace. If there's a hard thing in your church community, I need to find another church community. If there's a hard thing in life, I need to find it. If there's a hard thing in your marriage, I need to find another marriage. If there's a, like you just find some way to kind of hit an eject button to like jump away from challenges because the main goal is happiness and the main path to happiness is no challenges. And that's not real. But it's what we do. We find a way. And so what I want to kind of start with is for you to think about how, how do you tend to, to deal with the pain and the sadness and the sorrow of this life? How do you tend to deal with it? Avoid it? Deny it? Anger? Blame somebody for it? Drown it out? Eject from it? What's your like default way of, of dealing with it? When we think about that reality, I think that's the moment where we as, a, as just human beings need to learn how to get really honest with it. 
And when we get honest with it, the good news of Christmas breaks in like this beautiful, beautifully good news. I want you to see this in in, uh, Isaiah chapter 9. I want you to see a few of the words used. We're going to talk about what happens here and then how Jesus came into this moment to bring joy into a suffering world. I want you to look in Isaiah 9, verse, uh, we'll look, actually look at verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 21. This is looking at the people of Israel and this experience of darkness and pain. The nation of Assyria has pummeling the northern tribes. The nation of Babylon is coming. It's going to absolutely devastate and destroy Jerusalem and the southern tribes of Judah. And it's into that kind of experience that this is describing. Verse 21, they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God, and they will turn their faces upward. And then they'll look to the earth, but behold, listen to these words, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. The words that the prophet is using to describe the experience of the Israelites, things like gloom of anguish, Thick darkness, distress. There's just so much pain. There's a darkness that hovers over to them. And it's in that experience of pain and the inescapability of it that this promise comes that God is going to break into the darkness and bring light. And that light is going to bring to the people in darkness an experience of joy. And that's that prophecy we read, chapter 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they're glad when they divide the spoil. The idea is this this people group who are walking in incredible pain. Lost loved ones, financial hardship, difficulty, oppression, political division, a hopelessness about their future, fear about what this is going to mean for their life, for their family, for their children. Incredible, incredible pain. There's this promise that light is going to break into the darkness and joy will increase and it will bring rejoicing and gladness that will multiply and increase forever and ever and ever. And how is that going to happen? How is that going to happen? It's going to be this epic reversal where broken things are going to be healed, where wars and divisions are going to be peace and mending and wholeness. And it's going to all happen, this is chapter 9, verse 6, through this gift of a child. Verse 6 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government, a new kind of government, shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. Uh, The prophecy is coming in, breaking into a people experiencing darkness, saying joy is coming, light is coming, and it's coming through the gift of a child. This experience for Israel is a sort of repeating of, or it's a recapitulation of the experience of all human beings. And so, like, what, what is the cause of the brokenness they're experiencing? If you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, the people of God in the presence of God experiencing joy with him, And when humanity decides to reject the reign of the king, there is a brokenness in that relationship and it brings what in biblical terms we call the curse into the human experience. And that curse, in the kind of words of that famous hymn, Joy to the World, the curse is found all over the place. There's an exile from the presence of God. There's division in relationships. There's brokenness in the world that leads to things like disease and pandemics and tornadoes, and natural disasters, there's political divides, and injustice, there's oppression, and and those who experience suffering, there's trauma, and brokenness in every kind of way. That is the curse, and that is an experience being away from the presence of God. What Israel's experiencing here is sort of a retelling of that story in their national experience. They've rejected the reign of God, and now they're feeling that brokenness in that covenantal relationship. And the promise is saying that God is going to send a child in and is going to restore what has been broken. So if you fast forward in the story, this, this is sort of like moment that brings these songs, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear, until that child is born. Then when the child is born, rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to the Israel. And that happens in Luke chapter 2. I want you to see this in Luke chapter 2 for a moment. And then we're going to talk about, so what does this mean for our life? 
We can talk all day about Jesus came to bring joy to a suffering world, but what does that mean for our life here and now? Look with me, Luke chapter 2. This is in the famous section, think about Linus, you know, in Peanuts, you know, Charlie Brown Christmas story. This is that moment where he reads the Christmas story, makes sense of the meaning of Christmas. Charlie Brown's really annoyed by the commercialism of Christmas. And Linus is like, this is what it's about right here. And he reads this. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. These shepherds were marginalized people. They were ostracized socially. They actually suffered economically in a lot of ways. And they're experiencing sort of the pain. They're grossly looked down upon among the Israelites, The Israelites as a whole are being oppressed by the Romans. So these are the sort of least of the least of the least kind of community. And in the midst of that experience of life and probably the darkness that they carried around with them, mostly probably marginalized from family, there's an incredible, incredible gift. And an angel of the Lord appears to them, appears to them, and they're filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, don't be afraid. For behold, I bring you, listen to this, good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I'm bringing you good news. The word there is gospel. I'm bringing you a gospel about joy. Good news about joy for everyone. And it's not just joy, it's a great joy. It's mega joy for all people. Where's that coming from? And he says this, and this is a clear allusion to that prophecy in Isaiah. He says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. If the prophet said, unto us a son is given, unto us a child is given, unto us a son is born. And this king, this son, this child is going to bring a new kind of kingdom, a new kind of government. What this angel says to these shepherds is that child has been born today. If you understand what that means, it's going to like make your heart erupt. Like you're going to light up. You're going to go from gloom, anguish, distress to some experience of euphoria. It's going to make you want to sing. It's going to make, want to make you dance. You're going to want to pump your fist. You're going to want to rejoice. Like something exciting is happening. And it's not just for you shepherds. It's for all people. And it's the gift of a child who's come to be the Savior, the King, the Lord. A child who's come to actually come and bring healing in humanity's relationship with God. It's going to reconcile God to humanity. And so what that like starts making me think is I'm thinking like, what does this mean for life? Because we can say, like, Jesus is about joy. Like, aren't you hurting? You know, let's take about 30 minutes and talk about how much you're hurting. And then let's say, Jesus came to bring you joy. And then let's, like, go out and feel joy. Does that work? Like, oh, we're all hurting, but Jesus came to bring joy. Oh, good, okay. But I'm still hurting, and I still don't know what to do with that pain. So what do we do? What does that mean for our life? What is the kind of joy that he's bringing? Biblical joy again and again and again is something that is not the the way we think about it. Biblical joy is not the absence of pain. Biblical joy is not the absence of sadness. People experience joy all the time throughout the Bible in the midst of incredible pain and incredible sadness. The Apostle Paul would say something like, I'm sorrowful, but always rejoicing. He would write from prison where he's awaiting a trial that will potentially and eventually lead to his execution. And he'll say, I rejoice all the time. I'm always rejoicing. I want you to rejoice with me. Like something about his circumstance and his honesty about the sorrow of his circumstance, so both the pain and the sorrow, didn't in any way violate his experience of joy. So what is biblical joy? Biblical joy is not the absence of pain. It is the presence of God. It is the presence of God. It is the experience of God's actual presence with you in the midst of any kind of circumstance that can give a real significant anchoring and joy. And so if the psalmist will write something like, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In the face of betrayal, a brokenness of the kingdom, real divisions, a loss of a child, all these incredible pains, it says your presence brings joy. Or you'll have, again, Paul speaking about rejoicing in prison. You have Peter talking about his joy, experience of joy in the face of sufferings and losses and trials of various kinds. James will talk about experiencing joy in the midst of pain over and over and over. There's this sense like joy can be found in pain. And the kind of key to it in the biblical narrative is it's found in an experience of the presence of God. And so when 
the kind of angel says to these shepherds, a child has been born to you, a son has been given to you, and he's a savior, Christ the Lord. The idea is he can mend that fundamental brokenness, that, that division between humanity and God in such a way that can give you right here, right now, today, in the midst of the pain of this life, an experience of an intimacy with God in the midst of pain that can anchor you, that can give you a sense of joy, a sense of meaning, a sense of life. Well, how does that happen? How does that happen? I want to talk, to, I want to talk about four ways that you can experience joy in the midst of the pain of this life. And I want to get really practical because in my own experience and in my just sense of where we are as a church, largely, not everybody, but largely, I do not think many of us have the tools or framework to really experience the kind of joy that God is offering us. I think we still try to live by that sort of progressive narrative that the main path towards joy is to get through the pain until I finally kind of get to the space of life where there's a clearing and the sort of thorns of life are finally cleared out and then finally I'll experience joy. And I'm just here to tell you, that's not real. That's not real. Like that kind of hope will be disappointed again and again and will leave you disappointed again and again. So the first thing I want us to see is to think about how to fight for joy in the midst of the suffering of this world is number one, embrace the reality of suffering. Embrace the reality of suffering. Uh, there's a book by John Tyson called The Intentional Father. And, uh, and he's talking about just how to raise children, how to help people go from like children to mature, like stable, healthy adults. And like you actually have to help children kind of like progress to a point of maturity. And in it, he talks about these, he calls it the five shifts. And he quotes a guy named Richard Rohr, who's a Catholic friar who wrote a book called Adam's Return. Richard Rohr in this book is talking about all these societies throughout human history who have had initiation rites for kind of like, in particular, young boys entering adolescence. So age like 12, 13. And the fundamental truths that societies have sought to teach their children throughout history. Here are the five things that many, many, many societies throughout history have thought these are important things to teach our children as they grow into adulthood. Number one, life is hard, right? Makes you think about that line from Princess Bride, life is pain, highness. Anyone saying anything different is trying to sell you something, right? Like life is hard. It's like to be a mature adult, you have to come to terms with that. Number two, you are not important. Sounds like our cultural messaging, doesn't it? No? No, it doesn't sound anything like our cultural messaging. Number three, your life is not about you. Life is not about you. Number four, you are not in control. And number five, end with like an encouraging one, you are going to die. <laughs> the five things that are important for a person passing from like childhood to be a mature, healthy, stable adult Life is hard. You are not important. Your life is not about you. You are not in control and you're going to die. If you can come to terms with those things, you can be a really productive, life-giving member of our society. How many teenagers are currently coming to terms with those things, right? Like, not many. We're like not even trying. We're living in some like illusion that that's not true when all societies throughout human history have been like, so obviously committed to that kind of understanding of reality. Now, in the Christian worldview, we have like framework to see those through a lens of hope and a lens that's not leading to incredible despair, but this is real for us. It's real for us. And you think about Jesus saying to his followers, in this world, you will face trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. You think about Job in the book of Job. It says man is born to trouble like the sparks fly upward from a fire. Just like if you start a fire and sparks are going to fly up. Just like when you start living, the sparks are going to fly. Trouble is coming. Right? You think about Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter says, don't be surprised when fiery trials come upon you as though something strange were happening to you. Listen to that. Don't be surprised when fiery trials come upon you as though something strange were happening to you. What do we think when something hard happens to us? We're surprised. This is crazy. Like, what's happening? Where's God? It's like the whole Bible is about God meeting people in places of pain and loss and brokenness and death. The most fundamental claim of Christianity is God meets us in our failure to be human, sin, and in our reality of what sin has brought, which is death. 
He forgives us of our sin, and he resurrects the dead. He meets us in the pain. It's the fundamental claim of Christianity. And he does it by entering into the pain himself. Think about James in James chapter 1, verse 2, talking about count it all joy when you fall into trials of various kinds. 1 Peter chapter 1, you have this hope that is undefiled, unfading, imperishable. It's kept in heaven for you. Though now, for a little while, as is necessary, you're being grieved by various kinds of trials. It is over and over and over again in the biblical story, trials and suffering and pain is a part of the human experience in this age of existence. And so when we experience pain, we're like, something crazy is happening and this is really hard and I need to find a way around it. What would it be like to be like, this is a part of the human experience. I wonder how I can learn to live in this space in ways that aren't hopeless and defeatism. How can I learn to operate? How can I learn what might God be doing in the midst of the pain? So I want to ask you this question. One is, what is hard in your life right now? What is hard in your life? Where do you feel the pain in your own life? You don't have to compare yourself to others. You don't have to measure it up. Like, what feels hard to you? And how do you feel about it? What are the emotions you experience around it? I feel like in my own life for years and years and years, I could feel hard things, but my main path through is like, I'm fine. It's going to be fine. It's going to be okay. Just like push through. And, uh, and like, how do you feel about it? it? was just not even, I didn't even know. That question just didn't compute in my experience of life. Just like, I don't know, like, it doesn't matter. You like, just push through it and find a way forward. And I remember a counselor that had me uh, sit in two chairs. I look at Jason because Jason was in the room. Eric was in the room. Uh, and he had me sit in two different chairs processing some painful stuff. And the first one was the light chair. And like, hey, like, what do you see hopeful about this? Like what the light chair is like, what are your positive feelings about this painful thing? And I had like, oh man, God's working in it and he's growing us and it's going to be okay and all these different thoughts and like positive thoughts. And he's like, hey, I want you to move over into the dark chair. So I like moved over into the dark chair and, uh, and something erupted out of me that I didn't know was in me. It's like a lot of bad words and a lot of anger and a lot of shame and a lot of sadness and tears and things that I just hadn't even slowed down enough to like think about those emotions. I'm like, oh, that's in there. <laughs> I, I didn't even know. I never slowed down enough to like pay attention. And it feels like those feelings are wrong. Well, those feelings were real. Even if this kind of like what I was thinking, maybe healthy, not healthy, they're just real. And what I've found again and again and again is when we can slow down to be honest about what's real, the pain and the emotions around that, God meets us there. So here's a tool for you. This is from Pete Scazzaro. You can slow down, take some time to slow down and ask questions like this. What am I angry about? What am I sad about? What am I anxious about? What am I excited about? In my experience, I have to, I have to stop and slow down and journal. I hate journaling. Like, it feels so unproductive according to, like, the ways I thought about what productive is. And then you start thinking about health and healing and growth and fellowship with God in the midst of reality. And paying attention to where you're really at. What am I angry about? Sad about? Anxious about? Excited about? God, I found again and again and again, God meets us there. Which is the second thing I want us to see. Lean into the presence of God in suffering. Lean into the presence of God. There are over and over and over again, God's presence in the midst of pain is something that is just true uh, in the biblical experience. All the experiences of joy and sorrow are people that walked with God. I think about Paul in first, 2 Timothy chapter 4, his last letter, when he feels all this abandonment, all this betrayal in relationships, and he says, the Lord stood by me. He stood by me. He was with me. The presence of God in pain. Or in Philippians chapter 3, Paul's like, I want to know him. And I want to know him by fellowshipping with him in suffering. And that just meant being honest about the pain of life. And something about being honest about the pain, God meets you in ways that are so relational, so intimate, that when you're operating in life, pretending like life's fine, and we're saying prayers because we're supposed to pray, and we're doing the next thing, that to slow down and be honest, and you feel a flood of God's presence and nearness, you can, in ways that are intimate and satisfying and joyful and give hope and give healing in ways that are stunning. So what does it look like to lean into the presence of God? Not just in your own time, but also through people. To sit with a brother or sister in Christ who loves Jesus and is filled with his Holy Spirit and to share with them what you're experiencing or to hear from them what they're experiencing. 
2 Corinthians chapter 1 talks about God comforting us in our sorrow so that we can bring comfort to others in the sorrow that they face. And you've, I'm sure, felt that at times where an experience of pain in your own life allows you to sit with somebody else in a way more empathetic way or somebody else that sat with you with empathy and you're like, I know this person has felt pain before because they're able to be present with me here in ways that are stunning. So what does it mean to slow down and experience God's presence? Third one is find meaning in suffering. This has been significant for me recently. What does it mean to find meaning in suffering? Suffering is a part of our human experience and God is at work within it. It's not this big obstacle towards our kind of greatest like sense of meaning. It is a key component to what God is wanting to do in us and through us. It doesn't mean that the suffering is like this like vindictive thing, but it's God is accomplishing things in our suffering that he accomplishes in no other way. And so that's where James chapter 1 verse 2 will say, count it all joy when you fall into trials of various kinds, knowing that the trying of your faith produces endurance. In other words, kind of walking through the painful things with God produces a resilience in your life, a stability in your life that deepens your sense of intimacy with God. It prunes away attachments and idols where we tend to live for things that are so unstable and ultimately not satisfying. It reveals the sort of frailty of those foundations and it continues to grow us into more mature, more stable, more loving, more joy-filled people. And so when you fall into it, it doesn't have to be like, no, something strange is happening. Get this away from me. It can be, man, God, among all the other challenges and honesty about the emotions, wants to deepen me in this season. He wants to grow something within me, mature something within me. 1 Peter 1 talks about the same thing again and again and again. The Bible talks about God growing resilience within us, him pruning us, him purifying us like gold that goes through a kind of a fire a crucible that's being kind of burned away all the impurities and leading to this like pure experience or that we learn to see our own weakness, our own inadequacy, our own powerlessness and it teaches us to rely more on the presence of God, the power of God, the nearness of God. Those things help us grow as human beings. It might not lead you towards like your vision of your best life, but you know what it can do? Give you the kind of joy the kind of hope, cultivate within you a sense of love, a sense of peace in the midst of this world that ultimately is where the deepest sense of meaning comes from. So if your main goal in life is to kind of accomplish all these dreams, versus your main goal to grow in the image of God, to walk with him, to experience his love and to put his love on display, or in the words of Jesus, to learn how to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love other people, suffering is a crucible that will cultivate something within you a friend that shared with me one time and said the fruit of the spirit is grown in the womb of of adversity the fruit of the spirit is grown in the womb of adversity that in the midst of the pain God is growing up within us love and joy and peace there's meaning in the suffering you don't have to run away from it you don't have to despise it you actually can embrace it meet with God in it and learn from it and it can be incredible as you grow as a human being And the last one is this. Remember that suffering is not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. It's a part of the story. It's a real part of the story. It's a painful part of the story. You shed tears about it in the story. You have fears about the suffering and the pain in the story. There are incredible losses to be honest and to grieve in the story, but it's not the end of the story. The end of the story, and we read it earlier, is about a God who is coming again. That's where we get back to the Advent theme. A God who's come to meet us in it. Not just to give us joy in the midst of it, meaning in the midst of it, his comforting presence in the midst of it, but a God who will eventually and ultimately reverse all of that pain and drive away the shades of night finally and fully. So listen, this is Revelation chapter 21 where John is given a vision of the end of all things in the beginning of the new heavens and the new earth. And he says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The image is the heavenly realm of God, And the earthly realm of humanity are coming together and marrying once again. Where the dwelling place of God and the dwelling place of human beings are one. Where the spiritual realm and the material realm are knit together in kind of this intimate relationship the way they were designed to be. 
where we are walking with God. We are his God. He is our God. We are his people. We're finding joy with him. And here's what happens when that happens. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This is where the story is headed. And so we sit in this experience of this life where there's pain, there's brokenness within us, around us, globally. Some of it feels like trite and like normal day-to-day stuff. Some of it seems devastating, catastrophic, traumatic. So overwhelming to even think about, to even slow down and feel. In that space, there's an experience of God's presence with you, his love for you, his nearness that can actually give you a sense of joy in his presence. In that space, there's a pruning and a refining that gives meaning to this moment. It gives meaning to this moment like God is accomplishing something in that. And even still, the pain is real, but the pain will not be real forever. The day is coming where God will come again and and the tears we weep in this chapter of the story, the pain we experience in this chapter of the story will be no more. The tears will be wiped away. The pain will be undone. And Paul will say things like all of the sort of afflictions and the pain we experience will feel light and momentary compared to the glory that has opened up to us in the resurrection life. And this is why we sing as we sang before, come Lord Jesus, come. Holy Spirit, come. Like meet us in the space of this pain. Give us the evidence of your spirit right here, right now. Give us joy right here, right now as we consider your presence with us but also as we consider the promise that you will come and you will make all things new. And a people who can pay attention to the presence of God, find meaning in suffering, and hold on to the end of the story in the midst of the pain can be sorrowful and always rejoicing. And that kind of a joy that's honest, that's real, that's like attentive to the difficulties of this life, that kind of joy will shine like light in the world. Because people want that kind of a joy. But that's the kind of joy that's honest, that's grounded, and that's anchored. And I'm praying that God would actually create in us a people who are honest about the pain, honest about the sadness, who can weep with one another, who can stand with one another, who can hurt, who can grieve, who can lament, and who can do all of it with a sense of unshakable joy. Because God is with us, Emmanuel. We're going to pray that he would awaken that within us even right now. So let's pray together. Um, Jesus, we right now need your presence. Uh, We need to wake up to it. So Holy Spirit, would you awaken our souls to the reality of your presence? Would you grow within us a sense that you are here? Would you help us to see your empathy as a God who has experienced suffering and pain? Would you help us to see your hand at work pruning and refining and maturing, even if we can't see specific things that we just have this confidence that you're at work in the pain, that we learn how to be honest about it, but we do so with joy. So would you help us, Holy Spirit, even now, in Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and for the joy of all people. If you enjoyed this, make sure you share it with someone. We'd also love to hear from you on social media at Park Church Denver. Lastly, more resources and info are available online at parkchurch.org. Peace and love.